and welcome back to the Meraki Unbox podcast. My name is Sammy Brenner, and I am here to take you through another amazing episode today. If you haven't already done it, here's a plug to go ahead and subscribe to Meraki Unboxed. We have amazing content coming out about every two weeks, and we want to make sure you stay up to date. And if you have ideas or you'd like to contribute to the podcast, please reach out to us. We are open and all ears to hear suggestions at Meraki Simon. Go ahead and reach out to him on Twitter. And if it makes sense, we would love to collaborate. So today I am thrilled to introduce our guest, who is actually a leader at Cisco. Um, And I'm going to get into his background and give a brief intro, and then we're going to dive right into the content today. So Gary DePreda worked at Cisco for over a decade uh, before going to a hyper-convergent startup opportunity and then taking on the AVP P role at Splunk, uh, returning as an area vice president at Cisco Public Sector back in April 2019. Uh, he has a passion for the work he does in public sector, saying that he gets to wake up every day and help our nation's government, schools, universities, colleges, and even hospitals deliver services to our community. He says this role gives him the opportunity to give back and make a difference and an impact every single day. I absolutely love that. This guy is a self-proclaimed lifelong journey to improve his golf game. And I was saying, hey, who isn't? And I cannot wait to introduce Gary DePreda to the Meraki Unbox podcast. Welcome, Gary. How are you today? I'm doing well, Sammy. Thanks so much. I appreciate the kind words. And after listening to you, I want to meet that guy, Gary. So uh, I appreciate I you having me today. <laughs> he sounds pretty cool, right? I want to challenge him to a game of golf the next time he's in San Francisco. You sound, you made me sound a lot cooler than I really am, but I am grateful to be here. Oh man, I don't know about that, but yeah, we're 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 thrilled to have you actually. And whenever we get a chance to speak with leaders outside of the organization, you know, Meraki internally, I think it's great for our listeners. And you have tons of leadership experience. You've been at Cisco for a long time, so I'm really looking forward to to getting into it today. Let's let's start from the beginning. Tell us about your story. I mean, I did a little bit of research on you, and I see that you say you're an engineer by trade, a consultant by instinct and a cultural leader by DNA. And I loved that line. I want to know, you know, how you landed at Cisco and what did your journey look like before you got to Cisco? Yeah, I guess, you know, I have a, like most of us, right? I have a pretty diverse kind of journey. I actually started going way back in the U.S. Navy. I'm not a career guy, but I did serve and did four years in the U.S. Navy and traveled the world. Um, sort of in the early mid eighties and came out and went back to college and got, I was a double E major, believe it or not, even though I'm a sales executive at Cisco, I'm an engineer by trade. That's why I kind of start with that line. I'm an engineer by trade. So, um, you know, I did graduate with a computer science degree and thought I was going to be an engineer for life and certainly started that way at IBM in the early nineties, but uh, quickly went over to sales. And so it was short lived and, you know, if you really put the squeeze on me, it could probably bang out, uh, you know, a line or two of Python, but it's been a long time. Uh, but my first half of my career was really in consulting. So I started, as I mentioned, in the early 90s with IBM, even before the global services brand was created. I did about five or six years with IBM. It was great to get my start there. 
And then I quickly moved into a company called International Network Services, um, which was a big Cisco partner in the late 90s and did seven years there. And so those first half of my career, Sammy, was all really selling and then running professional services organizations for IBM and INS. And it wasn't until 2005 I made the transition over to Cisco, which was you know pure product, obviously, and, and services, but ma mainly product. And um, you know, it's the company that I absolutely love. I love the people. I love the brand. I love the, I love you know kind of what we do and the customers I serve. So the first half of my career, you know, was consulting. Second half of my career was you know big um, you know products and services uh, projects at IBM. So, and I and and kind of the cultural leader by DNA, you know, was just you know fact that I found management really really early in my career um, when I was with IBM. So started as an engineer. You know, quickly went into sales and sales management, but I was really fortunate in the 90s um, starting my career. I had a, a, a mentor at the time, and I didn't know he, he, he was a mentor, perhaps even at that point what a mentor was, but a guy by the name of Don Peterman at IBM, and he, he saw something in me and gave me my first, you know, first line management job in roughly 1996 or so, and just fell in love with it. You know, I just really fell in love with management and became a calling for me. And, and it's a calling because, you know, I just love leadership and, uh, you know, manage, you know, leading people, managing people, managing large organizations. And that's really what I've been doing for the past 25 years. So uh, it's been a fun journey. Management is clearly my and leadership are, are clearly my calling. Yeah. Wow. That That's awesome that um, you were able to experience that and realize early on in career that you, you know, you fell in love with management and you loved it. And, and don't worry, to your point earlier, I won't make you code any Python, although you know, <laughs> I got to keep you on your toes. So we'll see what happens through this podcast. I think a lot of people are curious, maybe listening. Okay, so you've made your way back to Cisco, right? You've kind of climbed your ranks. What does that role look like for you, an area VP role at Cisco? Kind of explain to us, you know, what are your responsibilities? What falls under your umbrella? What keeps you up at night? Yeah, we, we want to know what you do. Sure, sure. So as you mentioned kind of in my intro, you know, I for those kind of external to Cisco, especially maybe listening, so I run the state and local government business here in the U.S. as well as the education line of business, um, which is our K-12 schools, as well as our higher ed, our colleges and universities in, in the United States, as well as some university healthcare systems as well. And for Cisco, this is about a $4 billion line of business and total products and services. You know, what we really do is, you know, I wake up every day with my team and we help our state local education customers deliver services to our communities. And um, I, in full disclosure, have been either, you know, in public sector for roughly the past 21 years of my career. So a good chunk of my career has been it, you know, serving public sector customers, whether it's the federal government or now the state local education market. And I view it as, this is a very personal word for me, Sammy, and I use this word uh, for at least the last, you know, 20 years to my customers, but being a public sector leader, I, I view that we have a stewardship role, um, stewardship in the form of, you know, the services where we help our, our customers deliver services to our community and also stewardship of our taxpayer dollars. So it's a really personal word. Stewardship is a value-based word. And um, I think that's what we do every day. And that's, that's you know, what I think, you know, most public sector people love about SLED or federal. It's a, that sense of purpose and the impact that we can have to our neighbors, our, you know, our communities 
And that's oftentimes when, you know, why public sector people stay in public sector as a vertical. But at the end of the day, I mean, that's all interesting. Uh, but at the end of the day, I really only have one role here at Cisco, and that's to put the company to work um, for my teams and my customers, right? So that's kind of what I do is I get the Cisco machine working and get the Cisco machine working for, for my team and my customers. So that's kind of what I wake up and do every day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really resonate. I, I met you when you came out to the Meraki office in early 2020, so pre-pandemic days. Um, and I'm part of the public sector organization. And absolutely, that messaging of purpose and getting to serve our customers and, and come up with really unique solutions to their problems uh, is is absolutely what fuels me. And I'm, I may be biased, but I think we got the best salespeople in the public sector. <laughs> No doubt. I'm, bi I'm biased too, but I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I want to transition and talk a little bit about your leadership style. I mean, you mentioned it, you're running about a $4 billion you know, dollar book of business for Cisco. That's a lot, right? And, and you have a lot of people under you. And I've heard you say before, it's all about the people. It's always it always has been, it always will be. And that really stuck out to me. Um, you know, you love helping others. You have this insatiable appetite for intellectual curiosity. I mean, talk to us a little bit about your leadership style, maybe your leadership philosophy. Um, how is that cultivated over the years to form what it is now? Yeah, that's, that's, um, that's a big question. I, I think it really starts with kind of loving what you do. And I know that, you know, sounds cliche. Everybody always says that, right? But I go back to that, you know, that, that person, you know, Don Peterman, who saw something in me and gave me sort of a, a start in management. And I fell in love with it. And really, you know, it's, it was because I loved helping others. I mean, that's probably also a reason why I gravitated to public sector customers or a public sector vertical. So, you know, it's, it's, it starts with doing what you love. And I, I love sort of getting success through others and helping others be successful. It kind of gets me, what, what jazzes me, what wakes, you know, wakes me up in the morning or gets me excited in the morning is uh, going to work and sort of helping others, whether that's helping customers or helping my team. So I think it first starts with kind of doing what you love. And that's why I really do. I'm not being corny or anything. I, I pinch myself every day that I found this thing called, you know, management and leadership 25, so, 25 or so years ago and just, you know, love every day, every day of it. So that's kind of, you know, where it begins. Um, but I think, you know, as, as you develop a philosophy and that always, you know, you know, develops over time, right? I'm still a lifelong student of leading people, leading organizations. So I am constantly, you know, that's where that intellectual curiosity comes from, probably why I'm an engineer by trade, but I'm always seeking to understand um, first, you know, that helps me shape uh, my philosophy and my style. So that's that consultative instinct in me, which is you know, just, you know, kind of seeking to understand what uh, my customer problems are, 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 what my customers are trying to solve for um, on their terms, not on Cisco's terms, or what my teams are trying to solve for. So I think that that drives a lot of my philosophy is that that seek to understand mentality or that intellectual curiosity. And in terms of how that translates into style, I've been told many times over the years, and I'm certainly, I think I'm self-aware that, you know, I try to, uh, first of all, I, I love this line, you know, I, I take the Hippocratic oath 
And the first rule uh, for those who um, are a little bit dangerous to the Hippocratic Oath is, you know, wake up and first do no harm, right? So it's, uh, you know, stay out of people's way, let them do their jobs. Um, so I try to do that. Some days are more successful than others. But I, I listen and I try to, you know, kind of simplify and find areas where I can help the teams and maybe remove obstacles and improve, you know, to, uh, drive out friction for them or drive out complexity. Um, so I think that that's, you know, again, always looking to solve for something. Um, you know, I, I try to stay out of my team's way and, and kind of look for areas where I can help. But at really, at the end of the day, the most, you know, the most basic thing about my style, and I think in any leader's style, is about the ability to build trust, right? And uh, that's a human aspect. You don't have to be a manager or a leader. I mean, salespeople, um, friends, uh, family, we all, you know, have these strong bonds, and these strong relationships. And I always, I do a lot of coaching of like, you know, first line managers. And what I always talk to them about is the, you know, that's the most important thing we can do as leaders in, uh, is to, you know, build trust with, with our teams, with our customers, with our, you know, our company relationships of what we call here at Cisco, our connected teams. And at its most basic level, the way I kind of try to build trust, especially new relationships or coach my teams to do it is by showing people that you're committed to their success, right? You know, you demonstrate that not with words, but action, certainly. And it's not just their business success, but their personal success. And you first have to understand how, you know, what their view of success is, um, you know, and that gets back to the, the listening and, you know, the, the sort of, you know, intellectual curiosity, really understanding what drives them or what, what how they view what success looks like for them and then be committed to that, you know, help them be successful. So, you know, anyway, so that a little bit of a, of a kind of a tangent or stream of consciousness about just how I view, you know, sort of leadership in, at, at a high level uh, and why I think it's, you know, back to my LinkedIn profile, it's all about the people. It's helping others be successful and it's about understanding what, what their view of success is and, and building trust over time. So, you know, it's simple, but uh, it certainly has worked for me over the years. Simple in nature, but more complicated to actually execute. And I think that uh, your employees would, would say that they really do feel that, right? Your ability to show up and build trust and I think make people feel heard and seen is crucial, right? And that skill set doesn't develop overnight. It's clear that, you know, you you have a practice and I absolutely see that within your organization. And it, and it speaks to retention too, right? Why people don't want to mm -hmm. leave Cisco or Meraki and stick around um, the, the culture and the environment that we choose to build every single day, right? It's not a single person that creates culture, it's small actions. So I, I, I hear you loud and clear and, and that, that resonates. I think there's something to be said for that too. You know, you touched upon like the culture of Cisco. It's, uh, you know, it's infectious, right? I mean, you can't help but work or spend time with people and it not run, you know, and common themes rub off on each other. And certainly, you know, I've been at Cisco with the exception of, you know, that sidebar we, you talked about for about three years, but since 2016 years at Cisco and you know, it's, it's, it's sort of self-feeding, you know, we feed off of each other. So, um, it's, it's a great culture. And I think there's, you know, it's, um, it's helped me certainly in my journey and, and, and sort of building the leadership skills that I have. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, I, I want to transition Gary and talk about 
you know, the change that we've seen in our business over the last 16 months easily, right? I mean, our world changed kind of overnight due to the global pandemic. And Cisco is a much larger organization than Meraki, right? We're just a pocket of the greater Cisco. And I'm curious, you know, from a Cisco lens since the pandemic, how has Cisco changed or adopted a new go-to-market selling motion? Um, and and maybe what's what's the biggest change that you've seen within your organization about the way that we all interact with each other, you know, since the pandemic? I think that's an awesome question. I'm going to kind of peel it um, apart in a couple different ways, but I, I think I'd like to maybe comment on that question, not in the context of the pandemic, but just in the context of maybe, you know, where Cisco is at, um, at its stage as an organization and as an enterprise. So if you can give me some latitude, I, I think I'll kind of tackle it in, in yeah. sort of this, this way. Um, let's look at sort of our state local education market <clears throat> as an example. Um, it's, you know, not a monolithic uh, market, right? I grew up in the federal vertical and, you know, the federal accounts are like Fortune One accounts. I mean, they're just massive global enterprises. And, um, and certainly, you know, kind of our enterprise segment is similar. Um, but in terms of our go-to-market, which is kind of the essence of your question, in the case of our state local education market, it's really, you know, a very diverse set of customers. You know, we actually have kind of small business customers in there. We have mid-market size customers, and then we have kind of large enterprise accounts. So, you know, one of the things that I think we often do is oversimplify our go-to-market, whether that's pre-pandemic, during the pandemic, or post-pandemic. We really just need to make sure we, we align our, our kind of go to market and our selling motion to meet our customers where they're at. And I know that sounds obvious, but you know, you really have to take a step back. So I'll give you a couple examples. Like, you know, enterprise agreements is something that, you know, Cisco does uh, with our customers. And that's great from our, you know, perhaps our mid market and enterprise size accounts, but maybe not so much for, you know, a small um, uh, school system with, you know, 2000 students, who just needs a content filtering uh, application to protect you know, our children from malicious content, right? And so, you know, we have to sort of understand um, our customers' needs, getting back to that consultative approach, and then make sure we meet them where, they, where they're at. Now, that has nothing to do with the pandemic. And again, it sounds obvious, but I think that what we oftentimes do is we often kind of look for the one-size-fits-all and, um, you know, our small, you know, business accounts would need, you know, much more of a C-try buy, something, Sammy, you're certainly familiar with, and the, and the Meraki selling motion versus a large complex, you know, enterprise agreement. So I think that it starts, you know, understanding your customers first and foremost and uh, adjust our go-to-market based on their needs and their buying behavior. Um, that's kind of number one. Number two, Cisco's going through its own um, transformation, independent of the pandemic, right? We are now a software company. That's been a journey that Chuck Robbins and Jerry Elliott and others have started us on some four or five years ago. Um, I just saw a recent statistic that Cisco is now, I think, I hope I'm going to get this right, the sixth largest software company in the world. And um, so that's, you know, that takes on an interesting um, aspect as well in terms of our go-to-market, you know, so software as a service or SaaS, you know, that transition, I think, 
you know, we, we have to we have to be careful as we adjust our go-to-market and we become much more of a software or SaaS company where, you know, we tend to oversimplify, you know, kind of our portfolio and, and maybe in some cases try to sell try to sell SaaS as a product and vice versa sell product as a SaaS. And I think as leaders, as managers here at Cisco, we need to do a much better job of, of coaching our teams through the subtle differences of, um, you know, kind of our product sets and, you know, and how to deliver those to customers successfully. Um, so, you know, um, the, the way we're going to implement, you know, a, a cloud-based solution is a lot different than how we're going to deploy, let's say, our traditional route, um, routing or switching platform, right, in, in a data center or in a wiring closet. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, my, my theme is we have to think externally first. And oftentimes, you know, I've been doing this a long time. Sammy, you've been doing this a long time. We, when we throw around terms like, um, you know, a go-to-market, especially as a big company, we over-rotate to maybe the internally focused aspect of that, which is, you know, how we organize, what are our selling motions, what are our engagement activities. And I think one of the things that you, oh, you can never lose sight of, just never lose sight of in your go-to-market is what's happening with your customers, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, whether you're, whether it's a small business, a mid-market or, or a large business and um, what's happening in your verticals, you know, a state customer is different than a local municipal, municipal government customer, which is different than a K to 12 school um, and is different than, you know, a large university. So you have to know, you know, kind of what's different in your customers. You have to know what's just sort of common uh, themes in your verticals. And then overall, I mean, let's not miss the obvious, what's happening in the enterprise IT market overall. And on that last note, you know, I'm a big fan of Clayton Christensen. Of course, most people remember him. He's the author, author of The Innovator's Dilemma and um, talks about disruptive innovation. And clearly, you know, Cisco and Meraki, we are, you know, technology uh, companies. And so we off, we have to constantly uh, reinvent ourselves. Uh, technology is not static. It's it's always being, uh, you know, it's a very disruptive force. And uh, so there's always disruption going on in the enterprise IT market. And I think we have to spend time on that. I know here at Cisco and in particular in our SLED uh, organization, we're focused on four of those market transitions right now um you know if you look at you know what we're what we're focusing on is you know prem-based calling to cloud-based calling that's a market transition you know traditional wan to you know software defined wide area networking is another transition um you know traditional you know premise based you know data center security to cloud-based security and then one that you're familiar with being part of the Meraki team which is traditional campus to fully automated orchestrated cloud managed campus so you know, when we talk about go-to-market, I just spent 10 minutes or five minutes talking about, you know, three different lenses of how I look at go-to-market, and none of which have to do with certainly a pandemic. Pandemic, you know, those are you know things that are that I'm passionate about, and that we have to adjust accordingly. But it really always starts with a customer's point of view first. Mm, so true. Yeah. Thank you for peeling that back. You answered that extremely well, and. It's it, it's layered, right? Your response to that, and I think you're right. We had to pivot and change a lot of what we do here internally at Cisco and Meraki due to the pandemic. But like the principles behind the strategy and the go-to-market remain the same, right? Which is yep. that customer focus first always, and and understanding the 
intricacies and differences between our customers, because you're right, they're vastly different. How a state is going to buy is very different than a local city or county. So keeping that in mind and, and understanding our customers is so incredibly important as we, you know, make this transition. Um, and I, I did want to call out what you said, and I heard that same stat that Cisco is now the sixth largest software company, uh, which is absolutely incredible. And, and, and Cisco making that transition to SaaS and software and, and you know, cloud-based. Um, you've, you've always been a proponent, Gary, of Meraki, and, and I love you for it. Um, but I want to <laughs> kind of take that into the next question here. Um, as, as we talk about, I think, this golden opportunity that Cisco has right now specifically to really help our customers and our partners in this new hybrid working environment, you know, Cisco is that full technology suite. And I think we are primed to really step in and make a difference for our customers. And I want to ask you, over the last 16 months, we've, we've had some incredible success in public sector. And I think a lot of your business has come from Meraki. I want to ask you to elaborate, you know, what does that look like for you and, and what success have you seen and what are you hearing from your sellers as, as to why Meraki, especially, you know, recently has really been able to step in and provide solutions for our customers and why it's been so successful? Well, for me, you know, when I came back to Cisco in 2019, Meraki was just very obvious to me in, in terms of, um, you know, what customers were really looking for and, you know, I'll kind of explain why. Um, you know, first, it gets back to what I just talked about, which is this market transition, right, and, or this market kind of force. And the trend over the past at least decade, or maybe always exists this way, right, is that customers really just want to simplify. I mean, they just want, you know, IT that is simple. And, you know, without a doubt, Meraki is the simple button for one of our market transitions, which I spoke about, right? Fully automated, orchestrated, cloud-managed campus networking. So, you know, when I came back to Cisco, it was kind of really obvious that Meraki was um, you know, this, this, you know, disruptive technology um, that was taking advantage of this market transition where customers uh, wanted to simplify uh, infrastructure. So, um, you know, I'm not that smart of a guy, but it, it became really, really obvious this, that, that Meraki was what the customers wanted. And, you know, to verify that, that wasn't just like gut or instinct. Um, I went and looked at what our customers were buying in our state local education market. And, um, you know, Sammy, I, I, I'm not sure if I, uh, if you remember, I think this is when we may have first met, but a couple of years ago, when I first you know, rejoined, I ran around the country and did roundtables with all of our, with all of my sales teams. And, you know, went to different cities. One of my trips was down to Raleigh to meet with our inside sales team. And so we, I was, you know, sort of brought pizzas in for 40 or 50 um, of our inside salespeople. And, uh, you know, did my shtick for 30 minutes and certainly then did Q&A, which is the most important part because, I, you know, I learned so much when I listened to what the team on top of mind. And, uh, you know, I was getting a lot of, you know, puzzling questions about, you know, enterprise agreements and complex bundles that were confusing our customers. And for those who aren't familiar with sort of Cisco or, or SLED, when I say our territory business, it's our small size customers around the country. And I was very confused and perplexed by the questions, 
because again, getting back to the one of the principles I already spoke about, you have to know your customers and meet them where they're at. And I was wondering why we were kind of selling or positioning to small businesses, complex bundles or complex enterprise agreements. And so after the round table, I asked the local management team to just go back and, you know, tell me really to what the customer, what our customers were currently buying and come to find out that, you know, roughly 90% of our revenue is coming from three products. Um, our cat nine K's our software security and of course, Meraki. And so number one, while it was obvious because it was a market trend, I also, you have to do your homework. And I looked at um, what customers were gravitating to and the numbers did not lie. Uh, customers were uh, pursuing Meraki um, with great force. Um, and I sort of, you know, that began my discovery. So that, you know, that was kind of the, the second thing is looking at the data, what the data was telling, telling us. And then finally, uh, I had great business partners in the Meraki organization, um, people like yourself, Sammy, uh, Christy Cook, Sam Sum, uh, Sam Sum, you know, uh, uh, Joey, Dwight Henning. I mean, these are all great people. I just was inspired that um, the, the folks inside the Meraki team all had a growth mindset. That's something I hope we can get to talk about, certainly. Um, in this podcast, which, uh, you know, growth mindset to me, that's my love language. So um, I just gravitated to the teams in Meraki. So anyway, that's a long-winded story about um, kind of Meraki, but it gets back to some of those common themes, which is, you know, I see Meraki capturing a market transition or a technology trend to simplify infrastructure. And, um, and the data certainly supports it. And then we have great business partners like yourself, who make it happen. So uh, for me, it's it's just a, one of the best success stories I've had since I've been back here at Cisco the uh, past two and a half years. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'll go ahead and state on the record. I think we're the best acquisition, right? Maybe I, would, I would agree. <laughs> there I would we agree. go. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's 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 been amazing to be in this organization and see what, you know, the acquisition to Cisco has done and how much more we were able to accelerate, you know, our business with the help of Cisco behind us. Right. And I think this, this folds actually really well into my next question, which is, you know, it's such a massive organization like Cisco, it can be challenging to move quickly, right. And, and work cross-functionally and get things done. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, say that that's one thing they love about a startup environment, right? There's not as much friction or red tape and they can work easily across teams. You know, when you, when it comes to Cisco, this larger organization, um, how do we work on that, Gary? How, how do you kind of eliminate the noise and help our teams work together better and collaborate when sometimes it isn't the easiest to, to get things done? Yeah, no, I mean, uh, that's for sure. I mean, we're, you know, there's no doubt about it. Cisco has 70,000 plus employees and we have our own fair share of bureaucratic sort of uh, challenges at times with such a large organization. But um, as I have been reminding my teams uh, here, certainly here at Cisco um, since 2005, make, make no mistake about it. Um, you, know, you know, one of Cisco's greatest strengths um, is the depth of our resources. So while it can be frustrating oftentimes internally, especially um, to perhaps get some things done, um, you know, it is our com biggest competitive advantage in the market. We 
just can bring a, just a, a depth of resources, a richness to our customers and our teams. That's why I always say in, the, in my intro, you know, one of my jobs here at Cisco, and I think any leader's job here at Cisco or, or candidly in any large organization is to put the company to work for your teams and your customers. And that's to get that, 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 you know, organization moving. So while, you know, sometimes it can be frustrating, it is, you know, um, a great, great advantage an advantage of being, um, having these, this depth of resources, Cisco far outweighs any, any kind of speed bumps that, um, you know, large complex organizations like Cisco may, may produce. But I, I think the way you do it is, um, you know, you have to sort of bring people together. I, I often use this phrase, which is to build coalitions of the willing. Um, and the way you do that is you bring people together and help them see what success looks like, what that end state looks like. And, um, and then sort of educate and get people on board, right? Get them excited that, you know, we're trying to help a customer or trying to grow the business um, and kind of meet them where they're at, um, you know, as a, as a diverse organization with diverse responsibilities and gets back to, you know, what does their personal success look like? I mean, you know, your success, Sammy, at Meraki may be different than what my success looks like or what, you know, the services organization success looks like. So you have to seek to understand, getting back to that, seek to understand and then bring people along. And I think when you do that, you know, you can almost guarantee your success. I know that sounds simple in nature. But if you can just slow down enough to kind of bring people along, then you can, you know, kind of um, un unleash sort of our biggest competitive advantage, which is, you know, that our size and the resources that we can bring. And I really do think, uh, again, as a self-proclaimed, you know, lifelong student of leadership and management, I think this is we, where, where we as managers and leaders need to really help our teams and, again, put the company to work for them. The other comment I'll make is, you know, kind of having this growth mindset as a leader in a large organization. So, you know, what does that mean? You know, one of the things it means is you can't be afraid to fail, you know, and I think you have to coach the connected, that's what we call Cisco, the connected teams, as we bring organizations together for a common goal, whether it's for a customer project or, you know, for a, a sales campaign, you know, you can't be afraid to fail. You can't be afraid to take risk. And when we do fail, um, it implies that we're taking that my teams are taking risk, and that's great, right? Because you can't you can't sort of grow without stretching ourselves, and you know, risk and stretching your comfort zone. I know is uncomfortable, but it, if you don't do that, then you become very static, and it and it sort of feels safe. You know, that's why oftentimes you have that organizational pushback, is because um, either you know. You have to deconflict those those sort of you know success factors or objectives, but also you have to deconflict kind of that risk taking. Um, so I you know kind of you know try to use the, the the concept of a growth mindset to communicate across you know cross functional architecture teams that hey you know what we we may actually fail <laughs> you know we may not get it right but that's okay and I think it, as leaders it's really how we treat and digest those um, those moments um, where we fall sh short that determines whether the organization or your teams will embrace a fixed mindset that's comfortable and safe or a growth mindset that you know sort of stretches but gives yourself opportunities for for incremental growth um, now all that being said you certainly can't be reckless and uh, but but while the org chart is large and it's complex again it's our biggest competitive advantage so 
you know, I think, um, you know, we as leaders just have to organize that, have the right mindset and uh, build those coalitions, uh, coalition of the willings uh, and uh, put our, our, our resources to work for our teams and our customers. So, you know, a little bit of philosophy on, on that question, but um, but I, I don't I don't shy away from it. I don't get frustrated with it. I don't roll my eyes. I, I sort of embrace it as an opportunity to help others, you know, kind of grow and and uh, and, um, you know, take some risk and work together. And when you when you when you are successful, it's it's a shared success and success. We all know breeds other successes. Right. So anyway, simple formula. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you must have been quoting Mindset, which is a great book. Like, like Carol big, Dweck. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Carol Dweck. I started yes. uh, kind of following her uh, a few years ago, and now she, of course, is you know branching into the business community. The growth, of course, Carol Dweck being the Stanford University child psychologist who coined a growth mindset as a term. But uh, now it's it, over the past couple of years, importing into the business community. So I love the, you know, the philosophy of a growth mindset. We yeah. we, we actually have have that in my organization is as our, as our kind of theme or our hashtag is, you know, have a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so, that's so incredibly important. And it doesn't matter what department you're in, what BU you're in, where you're at, if you're an employee at Cisco or not, this idea of having a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. If you kind of live your life with that mentality, um, you're going to go so much further. Right. And, and to your For point, sure. you know, we're not afraid to fail and, and working for a leader who really shows up and supports you and says, yeah, take a risk, right? Let's not be reckless, but let's see what happens. Let's A, B test. That's huge. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, so I, I love yeah. that you called that out. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it is a, it is a great philosophy and, you know, I've seen it in other organizations where I've worked at where if you have a, a growth mindset and you learn from those uh, from those misses, then that's a really really powerful tool. But I do agree, it starts with leadership creating a safe space to take those risks. And I've seen, or you know, it do wonders for for people and for organizations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for sharing that. And it is a great book recommendation for anyone listening who hasn't read Mindset. Uh, go check it out. Um, Gary, I've learned so much from our conversation today, and uh, I was actually pinging Simon on the side. I'm like, this guy is sharp. You know, he knows what he's doing. He's been around. Oh my goodness. <laughs> uh, so thank you for, for sharing your wisdom today. And I think every listener can, can walk away with something. I always love to close out the podcast with some sort of call to action. Um, you know, for those folks out there who are listening today, who maybe aren't even in sales, but want to step up within their organization and become a leader or have a voice or take a risk and don't really know how to go about starting that conversation. What advice do you have, um, for people? I, I, I always have said this phrase over the past 20 years, I, I believe in the cafeteria, cafeteria school of life, right? Which is, you know, go sample the goods in the, you know, in sort of the cafeteria, and uh, what I mean by that is like, you know, talk to other leaders, talk to peers, talk to people, sample the goods, you know, what's worked for you, Sammy, what's worked for me, you know, and I may have, you know, I make my like, you know, pork chops and asparagus and maybe some apple pie a la mode. And you can say, and you, you, as you and I are, you know, are certainly um, sharing what's worked for us in our careers and you know, and, and, in our, in our styles and our philosophies, you may say, well, Gary, I'm not a big, you know, pork chop fan, but 
I, you know, I, I do love me some asparagus and, you know, I'm more of a peach cobbler, but you know, that's okay. Right. But, you know, sample the goods and pick, you know, pick nuggets up, uh, from, you know, people along the way. Uh, I certainly, this is a Cisco esque thing, but, you know, take advantage for those Cisco listeners of our culture. We have such an open culture and there, you know, I've never met anyone here at Cisco, literally, uh, who isn't there and, you know, providing a willingness to help. And that may, might mean just time, spending time with you. So as you, you know, meet people around the organization who are, may not, you know, in fact, I would encourage people not even as part of your organization, just to network and listen and, and sort of, you know, un understand kind of what they do and how they go about, you know, their jobs. And the one you know piece of advice I would offer, offer, especially for earlier in careers, is to really focus on your craft and not just your career. And I will tell you that, you know, it's okay to focus on your career. That's what what people are doing. But you know, I, I often would love to just make sure if you want to be a salesperson, be the best salesperson you could could be. Right? If you're going to be an engineer, be the best engineer you can be. A developer, be the best developer you're going to be. If you're going to be a, a manager or a leader, be the best leader you can be. But focus on your craft. And it's I've been doing things this a long time. If you focused on your craft and not sort of you know overly rotated on the career plan itself. Um, you'll be amazed how career opportunities come and find you. So um, I'm a big, you know, believer on just, um, you know, seeking advice and and sampling the goods of the cafeteria school life and, and helping develop your craft. As I said, I'm a lifelong student of the art of management leadership, and I've never stopped sort of learning every day that I go on. So if you do all those things, I think, um, you know, career opportunities will find you. Mm-hmm. Now you've got me hungry and thinking about cafeteria food, <laughs> but that, that's great advice, Gary. And I think so many of us are caught up in the what's next, what's next, what's my next career move and stopping and really focusing on your craft while networking, right? You kind of got to do both, but yeah, it will find you, right? If you are the best of the best and you take your you know Absolutely. job seriously, doors open. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And, and I, I believe that. Well, mm -hmm. I really appreciate the time today, Sammy. This was fun. This was super fun. Yes. Thank you so much, Gary. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you today and uh, come back. Don't be a stranger. I will. We'd love Thanks to, again. Yeah, we'd love to have you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Meraki Unbox podcast. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Sammy Brenner and stay safe out there and we'll see you soon. Take care. 